they're the they're a brand like IBS, but like the Yankees, they're the Cowboys, maybe now the Patriots. They're the team that stru- that stirs the drink, the starter stirs the drink, and they're the ones that get the highest ratings and whatnot. So you had Duke had the buzzer beater in the Sweet Six, not buzzer beater, but you had another team miss a shot in uh, in Tech. You had to miss that shot at the very end where Zion lost his man on the alley-oop and he missed the shot point blank two games in a row. I can't remember a team winning two games in a row by their opponents missing shots at point blank range. And then, of course, you had, I guess that was Sunday, you had them against Michigan State. I just, I don't know. I, I, I never thought that Duke team was good enough to even make the Final Four. I knew they were good to do it, but I didn't see that Duke team as, a team that could actually make a championship run because as talented as they were, the weaknesses were obvious. Yeah, and and I think that the thing that really hurt that Duke team is that um, ultimately it was just a two-man team and there just wasn't enough from the supporting cast, which is weird because in the past we've seen Duke supporting cast people uh, come up with big shots, um, be more dependable when they're left open uh, for the kickout. And this whole this whole season has been very unduke like. The class is unduke like. The way they played was unduke like. I've never seen a Duke team in my lifetime that I can remember that I didn't consider a threat from the three point range. And, now, and like those elements that we're used to seeing, a Duke was kind of missing. And for all uh, Zion Williamson's greatness, uh, R.J. Barrett's greatness, um, I don't think it, they had enough to really make make a championship run. Like, the tournament's a different animal, you know? Like, regular season and stuff, and you got those those periods of rest and everything, it's a little bit easier. Um, but I, I just don't – I'm not, like, shocked that they lost. I um, mean, like you said, they, they really should have lost earlier. I'm still trying to figure out how Central Florida's uh, tipping didn't go. Um, so, Ola – not Ola, sayonara, <laughs> Duke. Um was there any other reactions? Because we had some pretty cool storylines. I mean, we had uh, some familiar faces of greatness in the, in the coaching landscape. Um, what do you think about Kentucky and the job that uh, Calipari did this year? I mean, if you think about it, he didn't have his best player uh, for most of the tournament, and they made a pretty good run at it. Kentucky has kind of transitioned uh, from being the team, Duke in a way has become Kentucky, and Kentucky in a way has become Duke. Not that Kentucky doesn't get good players, but Duke is getting the top players, whilst Kentucky is not getting the, the top of the top. And sometimes these players play multiple years instead of this one-and-done factory. I'm always there for Coach Cal. Coach Cal, I will ring the bell for Coach Cal no matter what. I have liked him since UMass. I read his book refused to win when he was at UMass. I was a fan of Lou Rowe, Marcus Camby. I can't remember the guy. Some of the Williams when he was the point guard there. So I think this man can build programs. I think he's a great coach. I do ever think like in big games like the Final Four and championship games, I question what he's done. And I think he left about two championships on the table. But, yeah, I'm always there for Calipari. And uh, I'm not sure about a lifetime deal especially with a guy that is likely to have your team on probation in the next five years. Yeah, I wonder how that would work if um, if they're going to require him to be uh, the coach without any stipulations. Because, I mean, this this last class, I'd be shocked if he, if he paid anybody. But, 
Again, I'm I'm a conspiracy theorist when it comes to college basketball. I'm 100 percent sure everybody and their mama offered the bag to um to our boy Zion and and Kentucky got outbid. But um, I I was impressed. Is it really? Are him. you really a conspiracy theorist when there's so much evidence <laughs> of players getting paid? I mean, people people seem to think that Zion didn't get paid. I don't know. Somebody told me today that uh. That Kentucky was never on his list. It was it was Duke or UNC. I was like, okay, buddy. <laughs> that's not what that's not what Cal's beef was at the beginning of the season. But all right. Um, but I was I was impressed with uh, Coach Cal's patience this year, uh, considering that the team didn't have the talent that he's used to having um, in regards to you know automatic lottery picks. Uh, I thought Kentucky was a well coached team. Um, I thought they played great basketball, and, and, and honestly, at the end, they just kind of got a little tired. Uh, one of the other storylines in March Madness, uh, which is an ongoing joke of my own personally, was, you know, the yelling uh, Tom Izzo and, and the little debate we had in IBS and, and just throughout social media and the sports world uh, where there was this divide on how you should coach kids. Like some people said he was too aggressive, he shouldn't get in their face. Other people was like, that's a sign of good coaching. What's your take on on the methods of coaching, especially these these young teams? I'm old school. For one thing, you can see these guys play on TV. You see these coaches on TV. I'm pretty sure if you have aspirations of being a college basketball player, you watch college basketball, and you know what Tom Izzo is about. So first of all, why would you go there if you didn't want that? That's like when Bobby Knight, and obviously Bobby Knight took it too far, but with Bobby Knight, this coach. Why would you go there if you didn't want to be yelled at? So you know Tom Enzo's thing. The player who actually got disciplined said, hey, you know, I uh, I expected this. He's trying to make me better. Like, unless you're actually – there's a fine line between discipline and abuse. Like, if you're not striking him, if you're not saying, like, just the most demeaning, horrible things, then I'm with it. Outside of physical contact and, like, maybe talking about race, sexual orientation – I don't know, your mama, your daddy, your girlfriend, and I might even allow girlfriend if you say something like, you know, you can't focus since your girlfriend has been around or something. I'm all right with it. You got you to push the buttons to motivate. I think there was a, uh, an instance where um, the LSU coach or somebody was, was using, um, using a, a slur of some sort um, talking about somebody's sexuality um, and, and trying to get in their head. I mean, stuff like that is too far, um, even as a, as a motivator. I, I don't have an issue with yelling. I was a yeller when I coached kids, um, and that didn't mean any harm by it. It's just that some things sometimes, like, you know, kids got to focus, man. They got to get their head in the game, and, and you get tired of saying the same thing over and over and over and over. And especially if you're at what is the highest level of that particular uh, age group. So, you know, these kids are at the elite programs of college basketball. Um, I, I mean, like you said, if, if if you didn't want to get yelled at, why are you there? And I'm sure it's not the first time somebody's yelled at him. But, I mean, Izzo's also like a short guy. He's not a big, intimidating presence. So he's got to have that crazy persona. I mean, sh- I mean, it's probably a bad uh, analogy. But my mom, my mom's not a big lady. And she's talking like she's talking to me. She's looking up at me and talking to my chest. So she had to put on this crazy persona. So I I respected her because I was 
literally scared of what she might do because she acted crazy when she would yell at me and stuff. But ultimately, she probably wasn't going to do anything. In the grand scheme of things, even if Izzo put his hands on one of these kids, they beat his old tail up, man. Let's just be honest about it. But the, the also, intimidation... The other thing you look at, the other thing look yeah. at, they're getting paid, so they'll be all right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a lot of these kids are getting paid, man. I, I don't care what nobody says. Uh, but um, I guess we're, we're left with four. Texas Tech, Michigan State, UVA, and... Why am I drawing a blank on my full team? Auburn. Yeah, Auburn, because my rack, my bracket is ruined. Um, I got to say I'm impressed with Auburn, but um, I, I think I'm going to go with a Texas Tech upset and a UVA win, and then I'm going to take Texas Tech to win the national championship. Wow, you're feeling brave. The question is, would you gamble on that pick? Is that what you're going <laughs> to is that what you got to do gambling-wise? I mean, I got, I got what, four teams left? Yeah, I don't mind. I wouldn't mind that. And I'll tell you why. Um, Texas Tech has everything you're looking for in a squad to, to win um, March Madness. They've got leadership out the backcourt. They've got a good team defense. But they also have the ability to – attack the basket and finish at the basket and they make their free throw. So they can grind out games. And at this point in the season, a lot of times what we see is that these games do uh, become grind out games. Um, I think that um, Michigan State is still kind of young. Um, they, they, they've had some good runs, but I think a lot of that was based off of um, off of adrenaline. They don't have a they don't have a, a a dog in this fight in regards of motivation for um, Texas Tech. Like it's, it's nothing personal. Like Izzo ain't, ain't going to get like going against Duke and Zion is probably a super high. And from a gambling standpoint, this is what we would call a letdown game because Texas Tech is the underdog, and Michigan State is expected to beat them. They they might overlook them a little bit because it's not a big time program. So there's that opportunity for them. Um, to, to kind of slip here. And we've seen Michigan State throughout the year have uh, moments where they've kind of um, mentally lapsed. So uh, I think it's a good it's a good spot to play Texas Tech. Um, in regards to UVA and, and Auburn, UVA uh, has very good perimeter defense. Um, they're not going to allow Auburn to, to run, run them in the ground. And even if Auburn does run them in the ground without their best player, man, I just don't see how they can handle UVA's size and, and just overall uh, pack line defense. Um, so it's going to be tough for them. But then when you match up UVA and Texas Tech, I think Texas Tech matches up well with UVA because they can they can control the boards a little bit better than most of the teams that UVA's played. Uh, and they've got the ability to, um, to move the ball and attack the pack line defense. And, again, they finish at the basket. So there's a lot of opportunities for A1s and stuff, and, and, and they finish their free throws. And I really think they just grind out a win and, and win the national championship and shock everybody. So that is my take uh, on who I think is going to win March Madness. That was not my take when I filled out my bracket, and it was Tennessee, RIP Tennessee. <laughs> I'm going the other way. I think Auburn will continue their hot shooting, and they'll beat UVA. And I just think don't think UVA has enough left in the tank. I think it's finally over. And to some degree, UVA, like, 
that was their Super Bowl. Making it to the Final Four, you can say what you want to say, but after what happened last year, everybody's giving them the kudos. Oh, you're so great. You're coming back from the worst, most humiliating defeat in the history of sports, and now you're at the Final Four. Well, what I hear from UVA fans, to the most part, and even looking at uh, what's his coach's name, Tony 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 Bennett. Tony Bennett. Uh, yeah, Bennett. He let out uh, like a gladiator-type scream when he cut the nets down. You know why? Because they were relieved. The Super Bowl has already happened. So I think, speaking of letdown, I think Virginia's going to be let down. And I think it'll be Auburn and Michigan State. I think Michigan State just out of class of Texas Tech. And then I think Michigan State wins it all. All right. So there's our takes. We, we're fading the uh, the UVA side of the bracket. So we will see how that goes. Um, we did touch on Duke, so um, there is a, another subject that we must cover because everybody in sports is talking about it. And it's Zion Williamson's ceiling, his floor, his ability to play at the next level. I mean, everybody who talks sports at some point has had a take on it. Um, so I'll tell you some of the things that I've read. Uh, obviously, um, he's too short to play at the next level. Uh, he's too big to play at the next level body mass-wise because he's like 285. Um, or what position would he play? He's kind of a tweener between playing small forward and, and he's too short to play power forward. Um, all these things, but the consensus is that you have to draft him number one overall. So what, why do you think there's so many uh, naysayers yet Everybody agrees you have to take them first. Because people are stupid. These aren't people that are associated with NBA teams. These aren't scouts. I've heard this just from your average barbershop, rec ball, go to the YMCA at the playground park guy. I haven't heard intelligent basketball people tell me the downsides of Zion Williamson. I've heard just your regular Joe Blow. I can't think anybody there is, but I can't think of anybody in media that says, well, you know what? I don't think he'll be successful. I think there's zero chance that he has a bad career, zero chance that he busts, unless you're talking about injury, when you have that much ability. And it's not just that he can jump. It's that he's big, he's agile, he's fast. He's pretty much unstoppable to some level. So I think you get 20 and 10, he comes into the league at best, at, well, I'll say at worst, you got uh, Randall. Most likely you have Randall on steroids, a rich man's Randall, but I think most uh, probably you get Blake Griffin's career without the injuries, hopefully. Yeah, so my thing on, on Zion is I don't understand how uh, people are are so, like, convinced that he can't get better. Like, this is who all he is. Um, and And even before he came into the college scene, it was all he could do is dunk. Then you see when he plays that he's more than just dunking, and now that's still not enough to be successful at the uh, NBA level. But Zion Williamson, as far as the combination of height and body mass, he's one of a kind in the NBA. He really is. So people thought, you know, LeBron was a big dude when he came in or when he started filling out as far as his body size, and nobody was able to stop him from getting to the basket one way or another. He still got Bucky still got to the free throw line. I don't understand how with Zion's athleticism, because he is that type of next-level athlete, you know, um, with his size, how could you stop him from getting to the basket? You could put bodies in front of him all day long, 
But at some point, he's still going to get the ball on the floor. He's still going to have his ears pinned back and duck his head and get to the basket. Um, I saw um, a video with Gilbert Arenas breaking it, breaking it down, like his, his, uh, his take on it, and a lot of people are in agreement with it. And basically, uh, what Gilbert Arenas was saying is that um, Zion doesn't have any skills. And I'm like, he's 19, bro. Like, how many 19-year-olds have developed skills, like legitimately developed skills? When's the last time we see a, a top three lottery pick come in and he was fully developed, NBA-ready to take on uh, the LeBrons, the Hardens, the, the Kevin Durant, basically the elite-level players? There's a transition with that. That's just natural. And I think that's Joe calling. I told him I'm not clicking over. But uh, I, think I think it's unfair. I don't think I'm people just, are really I'm looking at it. I think he's being overshadowed by mm-hmm. his athleticism because, I mean, for his size, he, he can get to the rim. He doesn't have horrible handles. He's okay at shooting. But most importantly, he can pass. He can run a – be a .5, and who's going to stop him? Where's the matchup? You bring, him, you bring somebody outside like Andrew Bogut. Like, who's guarding him at the five position? Now, he may not be able to play yeah. that – uh, forever, but if you look at him, and if Draymond's a bad comparison, but if Draymond Green can prosper in that kind of role, Zion definitely can. Yeah, yeah. Um, give me one second. I'm gonna click over. I'm pretty sure this is Joe. Is this Joe? It's Joe. What's going on, guys? That's, That's right. We got our loyal call. What's up, Joe? <laughs> hey, we're, we're talking. Uh, we were talking March Madness, and then we're talking the uh, the ceiling and floor of Zion Williamson and why do people think that he won't be successful at the next level? Um, I think it's, I think it's easy to, for people to, um, to view athletic freaks and sort of um, think that since we haven't seen a whole lot of Zion Williamson, we really don't know a lot of Zion Williamson um, as far as like his personality and work ethic and all those kinds of things. We have what coach K has, has said, but, uh, but since you don't know and you don't know if he's one of those guys that has that, like, you know, uh, the Mamba mentality or that Le- or at least the LeBron James mentality of, hey, I'm going to add weapons to my arsenal. Um, you know, like when LeBron James comes in the league, doesn't really have, like, that jump shot in the same way, really had to develop a three, develop, like, a mid-range game, um, and never really got around to being, like, a, a super clutch free-throw shooter, like, do we know that Zion Williamson is going to take these athletic gifts and, and develop? No. So I think it's easy to say, um, and a lot of times in, in other sports, like especially in football, you get guys that are athletic freaks um, who are extremely gifted and talented, but then never really develop and, and hit that next level. I think for basketball, somebody who really, who, who did that for me and who came out and you're like, oh, damn, like this guy was a freak. He was just incredible. Um, athletically uh, gifted and, and obviously had some great talent was Dwight Howard, but he never took that freakness to the next level by really developing his game. And once the injury started to set in and once the athleticism started to fade, he's just kind of a guy, like he's just a body. Um, you know, there's nothing really that makes Dwight Howard special in his thirties um, because his game he, and he and he wants to be an offensive player, and his and his game just never developed. So, um, I think people are afraid that Zion Williamson might come out of the gate hot, you know, be that sort of athletic freak guy, and then lean on that too much when when it starts to get tough. When you're playing NBA ga- guys and going through that, uh, you know, 80 plus game grind uh, 
season in, season out. So um, I can see it. I see why people doubt him. But uh, and so I, you know, I mean, his ceiling, his ceiling is is uh, whatever he wants it to be. I mean, I don't think we've seen another athlete really like him. I mean, people say LeBron James, but um, but no, nah, I mean, his body's totally different. I mean, he's a um, he's like a I don't even know what he is. Like I would say, like a mini Shaq, <laughs> right? But like but that's you not really say true. He's a tight end. Yeah, you want to say he's like yeah, a tight like, end. Then you think about tight ends, you're like, I don't know, man. He's kind of wide, too wide for a tight end. It's like maybe he's like a maybe he's like a three technique. I don't know. Maybe, right. I mean, I, I mean, yeah, like exactly. Like, what is he as a basketball player? I don't know. Like, I, I don't know that we've seen another guy like him. So, so what his there's no there's no athletic comparison to him in in basketball right now. So I think that's the challenge yeah. is like what well what could he be? We have no idea. Like we have no yeah. clue. We have no clue what kind of you know how how bodies his size uh, react over you know a, a ten game or I mean excuse me a ten year stretch. Uh, we we have no idea. Uh, hey guys, we have no idea like. I don't know what what these players develop into because we've never seen anybody like him. So, and I just think that uh, people just want they just want to see uh, high level athletes fail, and that's just America. Like if yeah. you're if you're good and you're winning, they just want to see you fail. Um, so a lot of that could be hate. A lot of that could just be uh, people just being pessimistic. But um, I guess you yeah. know we'll find out sooner than later. Uh, before you go, Absolutely. there's one thing I wanted to to ask of you. Why okay. are national fans booing Bryce Harper? I I, I don't know. I don't know because it's not yeah. it's, it's not like he um, the the organization is the one who truly did not want to bring him back. It seems um, he was open to it and he gave you great years. I, I I don't understand that. I mean that's. That's really that's piss poor to me. It's not like somebody. It's fans like are stupid. Because fans are yeah. stupid and fa- yeah, fanboyism is a mental disorder. Continue. Sorry. Hey, look, I gotta, <laughs> no, I gotta let you go, Joe, because we got another yeah, caller. Got another but caller. I say that you said piss poor, <laughs> and that makes us friends because I use that same terminology. Appreciate you, Joe. I'm, I'm glad. <laughs> All right, The nineties wants his words two. back. Piss poor. That's a baseball piss word. Piss. That, uh, baseball is, players get little sidearm throws. They say piss poor. My, my backwoods coach, who was a dog catcher when I was in Little League, used to yell at us. That's right. We were seven or eight and tell us our effort was piss poor. That's right. So, no. No. They want to say that baseball. instead of shitty. It's your kids, so you can't say that. So you say <laughs> piss poor. You can say whatever you wanted, man. You know how I grew up, and you know how you grew up in the country, man. They don't miss their words. Learn language that you're not supposed to learn. Hey, who this? 804 852. Better be somebody I like. The Cinderella King. <laughs> Sherman. I think you're going to win, Sherman. Who is that? I don't know. <laughs> who is that? Hey, hey, look, Sherman, sorry about my tone, sir. Um, don't kick me out. <clears throat> hey, we were talking about Zion Williamson and March Madness and everything. You're a Duke fan. How you feeling right now, man? I'm a little irritated. You should have won that game, definitely. But you know, you win some, you lose some. Um, again, Zion will so, be good in the next level. Are you, you are you disappointed as a Duke fan? Let me get it out. As a Duke fan, do you consider this 
a disappointing season, or how do you feel about it? I think we went pretty far for having three freshmen who's out of control. But I, I definitely expect them to at least make it to the championship. But winning three close games by one point is, is tough for any team. You sound hurt, man. Did you put him in your bracket to win it all? What's going on, man? No, nobody in the Final Four in my bracket made it, so. That's tough. Hey, look. That's tough. I had I have 14 of the 16, Sweet 16 uh, teams, and somehow I don't have anybody left. No, <laughs> Except for Michigan nobody. State. And I, I can't. Pick them I, was, I was being contrary. I had UVA going to the Final Four just to be contrary. I figured that wasn't going to be on anybody's bracket. I definitely hey, um, I, I had them out early. Sherman, you were a dual sport athlete. So um, what do you? What would you classify Zion Williamson? Me and Joe were just having this conversation. So we know how big he is, like 6'7", six, 6'8", six, maybe 285 pounds. We were trying to figure out, is that a tight end? Is that a D lineman? What is that? Like, what, what would be the comparison for him? More athletic, Antonio Gates is like a tight end. Okay. Yeah, um, but that kind of athletic you, you better almost put him on offense because look at what he could do just athletically to let him go up and get the ball. Yeah, he's like Antonio what you, Gates. What do you think his um, his best attribute will be when he gets to the next level? Outside of athleticism, obviously. Uh, what particular skill set in, in basketball do you think would be his best attribute? Rebounding. Rebounding? Okay. And then what do you think would be his uh, his greatest weakness? Not using his right hand. Ah, uh, yeah, that's that's actually that's a good one. That's a good one. He does go left entirely too much. Too Even much. when he goes right, he still uses his left hand. Yeah. Well, you know when, and I hate to keep using LeBron as an example because I I don't think they're comparable in regards to the skill just because LeBron was a little bit better with the ball in his hand. But uh, LeBron had trouble uh, going, what was it, left when he was first coming in the league? Think, I think he couldn't finish with his left hand, or people were saying he couldn't finish left, and uh, he developed it. Why do you think people have this, like, negativity about Zion actually working on some of these weaknesses when he gets to the next level and, and becoming a more complete player? People love to see people lose. Like, great people, they hate to see people Win. Let this see their downfall. Yeah. I agree. I agree. I said, I said the same thing. Yep. I said the same thing. Look, so look, I just don't, one I don't thing, understand why people can't use both hands. Like in New Kent, they made us use both hands. I don't understand why they can't finish with both hands. Because they rarely been coached. Like these phenoms, yeah, they're not say, coached hard. They go to AAU, they're not yeah. coached hard. And honestly, Zion hasn't needed it and won't need it to the NBA, so he doesn't do it. Like a lot of these coaches and these kids aren't pushed to learn. To, I hope I hate to say this because it sounds old, but they aren't pushed to learn the <laughs> fundamentals. And when you're talented, I, I hate that phrase, but it's the truth. And when you're talented, you don't have to use fundamentals for a long time. And when you're not as talented, you have to use both. And I remember exactly. playing AAU, with, AAU, and all of that, and they made us finish, you know, left hand layups, right hand layups, all of that. 
it just amazes me how great players can't use both hands. You would think they would start I mean, them out like that. Like you're seven or eight, you start out using both hands. Come on. Right. Hey, you know what I think uh, is also um, also really hurting kids is that in today's uh, youth sports in general, people are coddled so much. And, and I'm not even using that as a term to be like, uh, I guess, to be old school. But there, there's so much control over the level of competition that kids face to build up confidence and stuff, is a lot. A lot of these elite kids don't really get challenged. I mean, look at the high schools Zion went to and the people that he played around. I mean, a kid with that kind of athleticism, I'm sure he was being recruited from a lot of schools in different areas. Um, I mean, we've seen kids go to to prep schools uh, to play better competition and get people to look at him. But but people are coddled so much uh, competitively. Is, they don't really have to learn. They're not forced to learn anything new, you know. Like you said, you had to use your right and your left hand. He's not he, – these guys don't – they're not forced to have to go left because nobody's ever been able to stop them from going right. No, and, and they're also stacking the teams. Yeah, they are. It's, it's they totally are rich. Back then. They're doing that in the, in the professional level too. <laughs> so uh, Definitely. <laughs> Who who do you think is winning this whole thing? You got you got four teams left. Give me your um your take on the next two games and who wins the national championship. Um, I think it'll be Auburn and Texas Tech, and I'm gonna go with Auburn. Oh snap! Everybody sizing up. Uh, everybody but the favorites. So you got Auburn. Man, I, All right, man. I can't go with you. I can't either. I can't either. Um, so, uh, we're going to go ahead and let you go. Um, anything you want to say before you leave? No, that's it. All right. Thanks for calling, bro. Just look out for the Cinderella King. <laughs> All right. New Kent hey, Strong. You got my vote. New Kent Strong. Sherman got, got dirt on me. He got my vote, bro. No disrespect ever. <laughs> All right, I owe man. you one. All right. So, um, we've got... All our March Madness covered. I think that was a good dosage of the, of the show. I don't think anybody will will leave here and uh, and and say that we didn't cover it. Um, I want to I want to touch on that Coach K slander in the group, but I don't even think it deserves airtime. So we'll switch it over doesn't. to a, a subject that is near and dear to all of us, especially to us degenerates. My Cleveland Browns, <laughs> my winning Cleveland Browns. Um, they're the talk of the of the of the league, and and rightfully so. They've made a lot of moves. They made a lot of improvements uh, from what a year ago till till now. So we we got some some excitement in Cleveland, and I think is well deserved. Um, what did you what do you take away from all the hoopla uh, involving the Cleveland Browns? Like, what what's your thoughts on everything that's that's uh, transpired since Baker taking over? First, I'm not a preseason hype guy. Like, the only way that works or the only place that works in college, because sometimes, because you have you have guys that you know are coming back and maybe some freshman superstars that are right there. And the NFL is such a grind. It's not only talent-based. It There's a lot that has to be done. So if you're signing names and expect to be good in the NFL – I'm not on that. I see the talent there. I think they have the possibility to be a 10 or 11 win team, but you got a coach right there, Freddie Kitchens, 
that got hot at the end. Nobody wanted him but Cleveland. If you have a coach that nobody else is pursuing and you are a positional running backs coach before that, I'm worried. And people think you can just plug and play any coach. You go from running back coach to be able to plan every second of every day for 53 men. That's a lot harder than people think it is. Just, I don't care how talented they are. Yeah, and, and there wasn't a lot of hype behind uh, Freddie Kitchens. But uh, I'm, I'm just saying, man, the marketing, the marketing, yo. Kitchens, Baker, oh, my God. <laughs> we could do so many funny things with that. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I, I have concerns be, because I'm, I have uh, – PTSD when it comes to coaches like this. You guys will have to excuse me. I will not deny that I was a Tom Sula optimist, okay? <laughs> so we have a very – shut up. We have a very similar – I won't say I told you so because I'm not that kind of guy. Outside of fact, he can form sentences, and he seems competent about both sides of the ball so far. Um, I don't want to – I don't think he would be in over his head. Tom Sula didn't really – uh, do much as far as coaching experience, calling plays and managing schedules and stuff like that prior. But Kitchens had a pretty good – he had uh, some pretty decent uh, hands-on experience. I'm sure Greg knew he was on his way out the door and Kitchens was, was involved. It doesn't seem like Hugh had a big grasp on things either, so I think a lot of those assistant coaches were probably mini coaches in themselves or mini head coaches. So um, I'll, give him, I'll give him a shot. I will give him five games to show me that he at least understands the game and, and understands his players. Then after that, I'll let you know whether I'm on the ship or off the ship. Um, I'm sure we will talk about it extensively because I'll probably be complaining about my bets. Um, but, um, yeah. you know, it's all I, you know who this depends on? The coaching staff? And I don't know if they kept him or not. That fat dude that every time he said hut, his big belly kept going out. That was on oh, hard not the, the, the offensive the coach. coach. And said that, what did he say about World War II? He said that, like, um, nobody had cramps or – no, you didn't have to yeah. go to the gym. You just did push-ups yeah. and you ran through Normandy. I don't know what his dumb logic was, but it was some wild stuff that he was talking. Yeah. Um, he was different, and he was the definition of old school. But one thing I want to say, man, and when we're talking about the Cleveland Browns, I wish Selena was listening because she says we never give her team airtime. But I, I really need people to hear me when I say this. You guys got to let go of some of these old false narratives, man. Like when teams are making moves and they're doing a legitimate, um, like, uh, culture change, and the Browns have made a legitimate culture change. It started with adding Landry. Uh, it started with uh, uh, showing leadership by some of these players. And then it, it also started with the front office. These guys are making smart moves, efficient moves. They're actually improving the team and, and – um, I mean, honestly, you could also say it started with with uh, Baker Mayfield taking over. They have energy. This is not this is not our Cleveland Browns. My son is going to see the Cleveland Browns have a winning season. I can't remember the last time the Cleveland Browns had a winning season. You know, like uh, I think they made the playoffs in like 2004 or something like that a long time ago. I can't remember. It's a lot yeah, with Derek Anderson and quarterback. But I'm just the Cleveland Browns have always been synonymous with losing in my lifetime. And and I, I applaud the franchise for finally 
looking like they got it right. Now, I'm not making predictions they're going to go 14-2 or win the Super Bowl or anything like that, but the Cleveland Browns will be a competitive football team for two years in a row. That is a win, man. We see these franchises that are terrible, and they just go all – they just keep being terrible until finally they get a lucky breakthrough. Uh, But this team has actually taken the proper steps and built their team through the draft and also through efficient and smart free agency moves. And the only real tragedy is is that Joe Thomas had to retire before all this took place. So that is I applaud them. I think, yeah. I think the key I think the key for Cleveland, whether it be good or not, and my brother was saying the offense is going to be good. I, I do believe that. The line has to come together because there's some suspect. They're suspect at left tackle, right guard, and right tackle. But maybe they address that in the draft. Maybe they get coached up by the fat boy we were talking about. But I think the key is they made some defensive line uh, – Additions. They drafted uh, L. I can't say his name. Larry Ojobi. Yeah, something like Larry Ojobi. Something like that. But anyway, they got him. I think he was drafted. They got him, and then they signed Olivia Vernon and they signed Sheldon Richardson. So based on those two free agency moves, and we know Miles Garrett is going to be good. So if that line can get pressure, and you got that offense, and maybe they can have a Kansas City recipe where you can get to the pass rusher, make timely plays, and have a really good offense. I think that was that's what makes a break to them. Yeah. Yeah, and, and just, again, culture changes take a while. I mean, we're talking about a team that could be turning their franchise around in, at the NFL level in, in a year and a half. After, what, drafting Baker and going through this year's draft, uh, the picking up Landry, Odell, um, again, I'm not calling them to win any championships or anything, but somebody said they're going to finish third place because they're still the Cleveland Browns. And I'm just like, man, do you, do you not see the talent on this roster? Like, it would have to be an implosion for that to happen. The Pittsburgh That's Steelers. That's probably Steelers, are, man. Look, the Steelers with Bell and Brown um, healthy were, were giving away games. And you think without them, they're going to be able to withstand some of these other, like the grueling NFL schedule? Like, I, I don't understand. The, the Bengals are going nowhere. Uh, the the Ravens, until we see Lamar actually make people, you know, respect his passing game, they're one-dimensional. And and the blueprint on how to stop that, whether you want to believe it or not, was given to everybody by the San Diego Chargers. And if you think they're not – people are not going to go quarters and they're not going to be, be doing that same look against Lamar and that team, you're crazy. Because the NFL is a copycat league, and, and all it takes, like the Wildcat, all it took was one person to figure out how to slow it down – and everybody started doing it, and it eventually went away. So that offense has to evolve, and it has to develop a passing attack, or they're going to see a lot of those looks, and it's going to get harder and harder on that offense. And and that and a good defense can only go uh, a year and, and some change if you're lucky. Uh, they lost um, – who they lose? Mosley? Was it Mosley that they lost? Uh, yeah, they lost Mosley, and they lost Suggs. Yeah. But, I mean, Suggs still had something to give, but he was old. Yeah, so – they they added uh, they added my man uh, Earl Thomas and I know people are celebrating it but I'm like Earl Earl's coming with a lot of injury baggage so I don't, I don't know if if I'm really sold on the Baltimore Ravens so I have to say the Browns should be very optimistic their fan base should be very optimistic there's blood in the water and they're all sharks so hey we'll see how it plays out but um, if you're a Browns what do you fan, before we go to the what do you think of Baker I know Baker's got 
Baker's got the hot hand. He's got the juice. If we're going to go back to uh, urban movie lore, he's got the juice now. And I love Baker, but I'm not sure that we don't get some ups and downs this year. A guy that confident usually is going to make some mistakes because he trusts himself a lot. And you get sophomore slump, whether that's real or not, but definitely in baseball, so you'll be impressed with my uh, my baseball knowledge, but I forgot the term, but I remember it when uh, Hideki Nomo took over the league. You go through the league once, and you might dominate. But then if you got to go through the league again, they get taped, they study you, they know their tendencies. And I think that same thing happens, especially with quarterbacks, especially with rookie quarterbacks. I think that's possible. So here's my thing with Baker. Um, Baker's best strength is playing off script. Now, he didn't do a whole lot of that, but there was there was moments when they needed big plays that he was able to do that. I don't know if I don't know if I personally saw a lot of tendencies in Baker's game last year. So, I feel like from a from a rookie quarterback standpoint, a lot of the flaws that he had um or you you might spot, I feel like the the Browns can really mask that if they just protect him well, you know, like uh, utilize play actions more um, and then the fact that he does have two receivers that are like I was saying in one of the threats his receiving core, if you if you look at the, the top three receivers in that offense and his um, tight end they're all very good at, at, at dominating one-on-one matchups so in order to really get it Baker, I think he would have to send some pressure now, if he's able to spot that quickly then you're in trouble because any jump ball, any one-on-one ball is going to favor his players because he, he's able to place it. Uh, we saw him do that a lot with, with the tight end last year. But with Landry and Odell on the outside, I, I really – I don't want to say I, I'm not going to see a sophomore slump because it's inevitable, but I don't think it'll be a, a, a drastic drop if, if you catch him out. Jeff, I'm very optimistic that they'll be able to uh, – that he'll be able to overcome a lot of what we've seen from other quarterbacks in the league just based off his intangibles. So I'm Actually, not I don't think he's going to have a bad year. Yeah, yeah, but until – like, it takes a lot of consistency to be the quarterback to carry a 10-11 win team. A lot of times when these 10-11 win teams and they have a young quarterback, he's not necessarily carrying the load. It's a la Russell Wilson. It's – to some degree, Jared Goff, the first year McVay came there. It's not on the shoulders of the young quarterback. There's a lot around him. And there's a lot around Baker, but not overall the team, just on offense. And he's got to carry the load. And So I, I'm just a little skeptical that they don't end up being a nine-win team. I mean, I don't see them losing, but I can see them being a little disappointed. Yeah, and and I think when we had talked off the record, I said uh, I was giving them uh, two years, two two years before I really put playoff bound expectations on them automatically. So next year it will be a trial run. I'll give them a mulligan if they don't if they don't do it uh, next year as far as compete for the division. But that third, what would be Baker's third year? I fully expect them to be competing uh, for the uh, AFC. North. If not, Kitchen's got to go. You got to bring in some some other coach that uh, knows what he's doing. I don't know. Maybe maybe just throw the whole bank at Lincoln <laughs> if it makes Baker <laughs> comfortable. 
Um, but you just you gotta you gotta get somebody in there that can really maximize this team's talent. And I think that's all Kitchens really needs to focus on. How do I get these playmakers the ball? How do I keep them happy? How do we put points on the board? Because everything else will take care of itself. Because you got the tools, you just got to figure out how to use them. And and um, I hope he can figure it out. If not, I really think that the Browns. All right, sorry about that technical difficulties. We got we got dropped. Um, but what I was saying is um, the the whole Kitchens experiment and the Cleveland Browns. I think um, if we give them a two year window, uh, that's reasonable to compete for that division. Let me see if I can get Ronnie back on. Let's see if we can get him back on. You guys, bear with us. We only got about ten fifteen minutes left anyway. So let me do this. I'm going to call back on my Skype here, and then that will allow him to connect directly. Welcome to Block Talk Radio. Well, I don't see him. I don't see him on. So here we go. Well, um, looks like we will be ending this on a technical difficulty, unfortunately. Hmm. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the IBN Livecast. I guess I am the co-host today, but I am joined by, as always, IBS Jesus, IBS Jesus, Actively Lazy, whatever you want to be today. Jesus Christ, angry IBS. <laughs> angry IBS. Been a wild day in IBS is, today. Yeah, what is Lipscomb doing, man? They're so much better than Wichita. Anyway. Uh, so yes, I am the host, so anticipate all kind of craziness. Joe, if you're listening and you call, you will not be allowed to talk. Um, <laughs> how you doing today, Ronnie? I'm all right, I'm all right. Just managing the asylum, just trying to go down the asylum. As always, if you hear a baby screaming in the background, it's just my son fighting bedtime. Um, so... We got a we got a pretty good show to go through today. Um, obviously, we will start start with the most important thing going on in the month of March, and that would be March Madness. Uh, give me your reaction over um, the Sweet Sixteen and Elite Eight. Well, I think you got to start with Duke. 